Well, good morning. It's good to see you with us this morning and beautiful day to be in God's house. We got that rain we needed. If you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, we will start with verse 7. Galatians chapter 5. We'll go through verse 15. Follow along as I read. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who called you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty whoever he may be. Brothers, if I was still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbors as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will destroy, be destroyed by each other. Chapters 5 and chapter 6 here in the book of Galatians is practical application of what it is to be a person in Christ or to live the Christian life. Salvation demands that there is a change in one's life. We have a new experience in life. And what Paul has been dealing with since actually the beginning of this book is that to truly understand the freedom we have in Christ, it leads to a joyous life in Christ. The ultimate goal for a believer is to have freedom in Christ. And if you notice verse 6, 7, uh, 15, I'll get it right here in a second. Verse 14 says that will lead to a life of love. Before Paul, though, gets to that verse, he talks about two wrong ways that Christians use in their lives. Wrong ways. And we need to understand they are plainly wrong. And they are wrong because they lead to bondage. And we've been dealing with one up until now, and that is being bound by legalism. And if you notice today, he goes a step further and starts talking about people who go back and live by the sinful nature. But both of these lead to bondage, a loss of freedom, a lack of love in one's life. And not only that, it destroys any testimony that a person has about their life in Christ. All of Paul's letters are written to churches or leaders in churches, and all of them deal with problems in the church. 
to correct a problem in the church. And churches have many problems. And those of you who have been here for a long time know that my main focus has been on Paul's letters. I've preached through virtually every letter Paul has written. And that's because those problems that Paul dealt with keep popping up in the church today. What he dealt with in the first century, we are now dealing with in the 21st century. Each generation, as the world goes on, they face the same temptations, the same problems that Paul faced in the church in the first century. The same faulty reasoning that they used to come into problems is the same faulty reasoning we use today. People have always been people, if I can put it that way. People are still full of pride. People are still wanting to gain salvation by something that they do on themselves. People are still wanting to keep their salvation by acts that they do by self-effort. And of course, Satan is right there beside us, deceiving us, tricking people into thinking that there is something they can do. In our own flesh, or our sinful nature, as the term is used here uh, in this text, still has its appetites. We still are tempted to things that tempt us when we were 20, tempt us when we're 70. And so when we look at the problems in the church, in the early church, they are the same problems that we face, same problems we have in this church, same problems we have in our own lives. Now, as I said, there are two wrong ways that he looks at here this morning that can be destructive to our lives, and they always bring trouble in our lives, and they bring us back into bondage. And one is legalism, and we've done a lot of talking about that before. And, and a new one that he's never dealt with up until this point in time is what I call license. We need to realize and notice that the churches there in the province of Galatia all started out good. We can go back to chapter 1 and verse 6. tells us that they accepted the word of God. Chapter 3, verse 26, is that they trusted Christ as Savior. Chapter 4, verse 15, says they had a deep joy. And if you recall, when we looked at that, he says, who stole your joy? And, and now, verse 7 of chapter 5, he says, you were running a good race. And then he goes on and says, who cut in on you? So he, he lets them know that you started out right, that you were doing things the right way and you were having freedom in Christ, but something has changed. And that what changed for them was there was a group of people that came in, legalists, they were Judaizers, and they said, it's okay what you're doing, what you've accepted, but you haven't gone quite far enough. There's something more for you. There's more than just Jesus. Do you not hear that today? Yes, we do. You listen to TV preachers, you're going to hear that you need more than what Jesus can give you. You need this, you need that. You need this ritual, this routine, or this experience in your life. And the Bible continually says that it's always been Jesus and Jesus alone. It will always be Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so those that come along with legalism will rob you of your freedom. 
As I said, we started already looking at legalism in the past, and there are sorts of problems that come from legalism. And he's asking now, why have you turned away from freedom? Why have you turned to rules? Why have you turned to ceremonies and rituals? Because, see, when you do that, you're placing something above what Christ did. You're placing something above the grace that has called our lives to have freedom in Christ. You're replacing that love that he has called us to. You're replacing the, the cross and the meaning of the cross. And, and anytime you place something between you and Christ, you're putting a barrier there. Now, the specific problem was circumcision. We looked at that the last time we addressed it back in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 5. And Paul even mentions it here in front of us. He says, if, if the issue was circumcision then why am I being persecuted? The law of Moses was expected to be lived in the lives of the Judaizers. As I stated before, it's always easier to make a list of things, some rules, regulations, to judge ourselves by. To put our efforts into that. Because it's something we can measure by. It's something concrete that we can look at. Where the message of grace is freedom. The message of the cross is what Christ has done for us. The cross says, there's nothing I can do for my salvation. I have to admit that I am helpless without Christ. Uh, in fact, the, the cross is offensive to people. Paul makes that statement in verse 11. The cross is offensive to people. Writing to the church at Corinth, chapter 1, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is where Christ shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness and be in the right relationship with our Heavenly Father. The cross again says, There's nothing I can do to obtain salvation. And to look at the cross, we have to admit that I'm incapable of doing anything in of myself. I must have God intervene in my life. You see, when we set up rules and rituals and ceremonies, we are saying, I can do it on my own. I can work out my salvation. We, we judge ourselves by that. When we were in school, and most of us have gone, are out of school, but we take exams, we take tests, and we, we grade ourselves, and we always love to get that 100 on an exam because it means we've, we've reached the top, and we can compare ourselves with the others who didn't do as well. But over and over again, we have said and stated that legalism always leads to a life of misery because it leads us back into bondage. It's back onto the performance. It's back into comparing ourselves with someone else. And so Paul paints a picture for us here of what legalism does. He illustrates it by a race. And he uses athletic terms quite often. He says, verse 7, you were running a good race. He's saying you were doing so well. You were making progress. And then he says, who cut in on you? 
What got in your way? What messed you up? In a, in a sense, I think Paul is saying, why would you allow this to happen when you were doing so well? Well, what happened? The Judaizers came in and they were coercing the Galatian churches and the believers there to change directions. To, if I can say, run outside the lines of grace. And Paul says, that's not of God, verse 8. Somehow that, the church was there and the believers there were, were taking a detour because of the teachings of false teachers. As I said, that problem wasn't common to just the churches that Paul dealt with because we deal with them in churches today and, and Peter dealt with that. We could go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1 and he says this, but there were also false prophets among the people just as there were false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who, brought, who bought them, bringing swift destructions on themselves. Peter, in dealing with the churches that he started, dealt with the same problem. And Paul says here in Galatians chapter 5, the end result of false teachers is that they will be condemned. He says that in verse 10. He says they will pay the penalty. If you recall over earlier in Galatians, let me turn back to it, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, he does that again. Verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel in heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach, let him be eternally condemned. Paul was so... Uh, upset with false teachings that he says the teachers who bring that are to be condemned and condemned forever. He gives another illustration of cooking in, in yeast there in verse 9 if you notice. He says just a little bit of yeast goes through the whole thing. I don't cook but I do understand enough that when you're making bread or something and you put yeast in it and it keeps rising and, uh, and, and, and all because it gets through the, the whole thing. You know, what he's saying is legalism pollutes everything. A little leaven or yeast. Pollutes everything. The yeast symbolizes evil and sin. And probably there's not a better illustration than that in scriptures. What sin does to an individual. What sin or legalism does to a, a church or a person. It will affect a whole church. It will corrupt the entire church. Those, there are a number of us in this room today that have battled cancer. And, and, and thankfully, most of us that was caught early in, enough in, in life that uh, they eliminated that cancer cell. But we do know that if that cancer cell that starts is not eradicated and taken care of, it will spread and it will spread and it will spread until it takes care of the whole body. My dear sister, who went to heaven a year and a half ago, that was what happened to her uh, when she went to the hospital due to illness, they looked at her and they did tests and literally tried to do some surgery and realized that she was eaten up with cancer and within two weeks she was dead because that one cancer cell that started just kept going and growing. And that's what sin does in the church. That's what legalism does in the church. It spoils everything. It spreads through the whole thing. 
when, a number of years back, uh, when we were living in Prompt Branch, we had a vehicle that started to smell. I don't have a good nose, but I could even smell it. And, and Diana and I did everything we could to, to try to find it. We thought uh, maybe somebody spilt milk, and you know how milk gets in some cloth and something, and when heat comes out, it's, it, it reeks. And it was that kind of smell. Uh, and uh, so we, we did everything. We cleaned it, the inside. We looked under everything and then through crevices. We took some Febreze and sprayed it, and in a couple of days it was stinking again, and we sprayed it again. And I said, well, living out in the country, I very easily could have gone over some kind of a critter out on the road and got up under the car. So I, I took it down to Alan Freeland, who did our maintenance. I said, he put it up on the rack. I said, Alan, is there something stuck somewhere in some cavity in the, the car? And, and we both got under there and looked and found nothing. It still didn't change anything. It still smelled. And so we... Uh, broke down and took it to somebody that would detail it. We spent $50 to have the crazy thing detailed. We let them know that there was something in there that was smelling. Please, can you find it for us? And an hour or so later when we got back, we said, did you find something? The guy says, look over there on that barrel. And over there on that barrel was a um, sandwich bag with a sandwich in it. And the sandwich was purple by that time. And that smell, even though it was in that, it's still sealed, it was still in that bag, but that smell kept coming. And they said it got underneath the driver's seat, and that car had power seats that you could, and so it was really tight and had all sorts of mechanisms under there, so they found it. But you know, that smell permeated the whole car. And that's what legalism does when it comes into a life or into a church, it affects the whole thing. Now, God has his standards, don't get me wrong, and we'll look at that in a few weeks. But when legalism comes in, it destroys the church. Do you realize that the meanest, most angry, and ugliest people in the church are people who are legalists? They don't enjoy their Christianity. There's no happiness in their lives, and they, they judge everything by a, a, a standard that is impossible to keep. And they're miserable with themselves and they're miserable with a, another believer that doesn't line up to their thoughts. Legalism hurts and destroys the church and it takes away our freedom that we have in Christ. It'll poison everything. The Lord has standards. Sin is no longer acceptable. We are to live a holy life. We are to live a life committed to Christ. That is what we're called to do. But legalism destroys people. It makes us be critical of others. It makes us proud of our performance because we're doing things better than someone else or more than someone else. Just like Granny in your song. She did everything. She was proud of it. Legalism gives a false assurance to people because we rely on our flesh and on our pride. Well, he also then goes and touches on a subject that he's not touched on before, and that is what I call license, verse 13. Just as outside laws cannot change the heart of a person, there is another extreme that people go 
and again puts them into bondage because there's not freedom, there's a lack of love, and that is license. Now, Christian liberty has never, ever been licensed to sin. Christian freedom is a, an opportunity for us to serve and to love, as he closes this lesson out with to this morning. Many legists will say that if you say there are no rules or laws to be followed, then you are going to create chaos and give permission to sin. Now, let me say something here. That's a possibility. There have been people who have misunderstood grace and have taken that to mean it's a license. People do have, have looked at the liberty we have in Christ and say that is a license for me to sin. But when one does that, they again fall into bondage. They fall into the bondage to sin. The legalist is bond, in bondage to the law but the libertarian is in bondage to sin and the consequences of sin. And both people are miserable. Both are of little good to, to the church and in reaching people. The idea that because God forgives and I have His grace, I can live any way I like, I can commit any sin I want, that's really not Bible. He says in no uncertain terms that the gospel does not free an individual to live in sin. Verse 13. The Christian has been called to freedom so we can live a life of love. John 8, 36 says, If the Son shall set you free, you will be free indeed. Over in the book of Romans, chapter 6 the first four verses read like this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live any longer in sin? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory, to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life life. We have been called to live in freedom, not in bondage to sin. We as Christians have been given the Holy Spirit into our lives. We have become a new creation and the Holy Spirit indwells us to be that new creature, enables us to live for Christ and not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The goal of a Christian is to be transformed into the likeness of Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling in us allows that to happen. Romans 12, 1 and 2 talks about being transformed. A renewing of the mind. When God's grace is understood, we will not want to live in sin. We will not want to live like the world. We will not want to live a godless life. And quite honestly, the Holy Spirit does not allow us to enjoy living in sin. It will convict us and make us miserable. Well, he ends this by saying what we've been called to do, our freedom has called us to live in love. That that transformation in our life translates into loving 
God with a love that we've never understood and loving people with the love of Christ. That means living as God intended us to live. This liberty is not selfish and for our selfish reasons, reasons, but the goal is freedom in Christ. The freedom that we are given is not a freedom to sin, but a freedom from sin. Christian freedom is a freedom to enjoy serving others and living for our Lord and Savior. The law of love. Romans again. Let me go back to Romans here for a moment. Chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Let no debt remain outstanding except to continue debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. That's what we have been called to do, to serve our fellow man, love them as God loves us. Being under the control of the Holy Spirit enables us to live that life. Our motive is to serve Christ and to serve others, to love Christ and to love others. So as we wrap this up, a question I have for you, who or what controls you? Is it legalism? Do you live by a set of rules and and laws of do's and don'ts? A list that you try to adhere to so that you can make yourself feel good or superior? Are you living in license? And some people do. That I I can live to the pleasures of sin and the pleasures of this world. That, That no one will ever tell me, not even God, how I should live. Or do you live in love? That the Holy Spirit's in control of you and the power of the Lord is in you. When we understand the gospel and we understand what Jesus Christ did for us, when he going to that cross and, and paying for our sins, it leads us of a life of commitment to, to serving Christ and loving others. The entirety of The scriptures of the Christian life is summed up in the word love. Fulfillment. What were the two great commandments? What was the first one? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And what's the second one? Love others as yourself. Living a life of love fulfills the law. When we love We don't want to do harm to others. We don't want to mistreat others. We don't want to make other people feel inferior. Christian life is a life of love. It's a life of grace and of freedom. And it leads to a fulfilled life. A rewarding life. A life of joy. And when we get sidetracked on anything else, legalism or license, we become a slave to it. And it leads to a life that's miserable. And the challenge this morning I pray, bring to you is to commit your life to live a life controlled by the Holy Spirit. A heart that is full of God's love and serving Him and serving others. A life of love, joy, and peace and contentment.
That's what he's called us to in this freedom that he has given us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you again for the few moments we've had together here today. Thank you for your wonderful love and grace that you've given to us and a freedom that is ours because of that. Lord, encourage us to live faithfully for you, not through legalism, but through love and grace, nor license. Keep us from falling into bondage either way. We thank you. And Father, if there's someone here today that needs to do business with you, that you've called them to uh, turn their life to you, to follow you in salvation or to join this church, whatever you're speaking to their hearts to do today, I ask you to uh, give them the motivation to stand up and to say yes to you right now. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. Shall we stand?